why are so many of us struggling with something that I would call the joy gap? This separation between these promises of scripture on the one hand and the very real letdown that we experience in our daily lives. It seems like there's only two explanations. Either the Bible hypes joy and offers us an unrealistic portrait of its practical impact in our lives, or we're so often missing out, leaving God's precious gift, gift behind. And so my thesis for this morning is that the, the cause of this joy gap rests upon our shoulders. Simply put, we're confused about joy. We fail to grasp what joy really is, what it is not, and how it can be fully experienced in our lives. We read about joy in scripture, but freely interchange the word happiness in its place. And I think that, that's the thing I'd like to emphasize this morning is if there's one thing we can take away from this morning is that happiness as we think of it is not the same as joy as described in the Bible. Biblical joy is far more than just a, th a thesaurus entry for happiness or a byproduct of Christian behavior. Oh, go on, if you can here. Uh, while grace is uh, God's precious gift to the unsaved, joy is his most tangible and transformative gift that he gives to uh, his believers this side of heaven. Joy is dynamic proof of our future hope as believers and our greatest distinguisher to a cynical world held hostage by life's circumstances. Or as G.K. Chesterton put it, joy is a gigantic secret of the Christian. But what does the Bible say about joy? It's no exaggeration that joy in all its forms is a real driving force of scripture. It appears, in fact, over 350 times. Oswald Chambers said, joy is the great note all through the Bible. The God who is revealed in the, in the pages of the Bible is a God of joy. He's a loving father bursting at the seams, so to speak, in his desire to share his delight with the people he created. Or as Zephaniah 3.17 says, he will rejoice over you with singing. Jesus of the gospel is most, is most certainly a man of joy. Joy emerges from scripture as one of the primary ways in which God chooses to reveal himself, to express his amazing love to his people and to equip us for living in a broken world. When seen in this light, the meaning of true biblical joy starts to become clear. Joy is something worlds apart from an emotional reaction or a smiley face. Instead, joy is nothing less than the nature of God pumped through our bloodstreams. It's a blessed invasion of the spirit of God deep into our souls. Oswald Chambers says, Jesus does not come to a man to, and say, cheer up. He plants within a man the miracle of joy of God's own nature. Perhaps if we can just begin to grab hold of the fact that joy really is the nature of God living inside of us, then my guess is our journey of faith won't be the same. Our confusion and disillusionment will start to fade away and the, the, joy, the, the joy gap, this crack between God's promises of joy and our actual experience in the real world will begin to vanish. Have you ever seen a a stereogram like that. It's a 3D image hidden in, inside, another, or inside a, a 2D picture. And so it looks ordinary, but if you stare at it long enough, the, the 3D picture buried uh, within the, the 2D picture starts to reveal itself. And maybe if you look at it long enough, you can see a picture of, 
of David's head uh, through there. See if you look on there. Um, <laughs> um, the, the divine nature of joy is much like that stereogram. I can look superficially at joy, and it looks much like happiness. But when I embrace the idea that joy comes straight from God living inside of me, then its true nature starts to jump out. Perhaps most significant is the joy that is, excuse me, perhaps most significant is that joy is a permanent presence in the life of a believer. So in the Old Testament, when you look at the passages, joy seems to have a more episodic quality to it, something we would experience during worship, celebration, or intimate moments with God. But the New Testament, joy starts to take on a new sense of permanency to it, something that is continually flowing inside the believer. Uh, the, uh, I have told you this so that my joy may be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. You became, or in 1 Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And then certainly a, a passage we've been looking at lately here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control. That's because when the Holy Spirit came to dwell in the hearts of believers, then joy became this fruit of the Spirit and a lasting gift that comes from the presence of God in us. This helps us to understand how joy can be different from expressions of joy in our life. And that's, I wanted to uh, kind of illustrate that. And so I think of, so I have Spotify in here, and I can play a song on there. But there's a difference between the, the, the songs that are on my phone and a song that is played at a given uh, moment in time. So as a listener, I think of the music as sounds I play when I, when I play the, uh, the Spotify app. But a sound engineer understands that the music, music is actually a stream of audio data that's encoded and then it's saved as an audio file and then played back through a little gadget called a digital to analog converter. So the distinction between joy and expressions of joy is, is sort of like this. And so joy lives in, inside the spirit of a believer but it's revealed through our emotions or states of mind. However, notice the difference. These outward manifestations, the delight, the contentment, the gladness that we experience, that's not exactly the same as the joy itself. Joy is this divine substance underneath. And this Spotify example helps, helps explain why those emotional highs of joy don't last. So an audio file on my phone remains there as long as I want it, However, when I play my favorite song and experience it, that takes you know, four minutes or so, and the emotions might linger on for a little bit, but then that, that experience is, is gone forever. So I can play the tune again, but notice it's a new expression of that song. And in the same way, joyful expressions come and go, but the, jo the, excuse me, the joy flowing through my bloodstream, that's constant throughout. If this joy is a permanent presence in my life, then it's a given that this joy won't run out. So I may impose restraints on God's joy, but these are excuse me, handcuffs that I put upon myself. Or putting it in economic terms, the lack of joy in a believer's life is a demand problem, not a, not a supply problem. Well, when we allow the joy of the Lord to flow through our lives, it, it is going to have visible ramifications in our lives. Charles Spurgeon wrote, 
When joy comes into a man, it shines out of his eyes, it sparkles in his countenance. There is something about every limb of the man that betokens that his body, like a well-tuned harp, has had its strings put in order. Joy, it refreshes the marrow of the bones. It quickens the flowing of the blood in the veins. In one of his writings, Spurgeon talked about the effect of joy on a man in his church. Um, what a lump of sunshine that man was. The very sight of him seemed to fill me with an, ex excuse me, an exhilaration for his joy was holy in his God. In fact, I used the same quote in my sermon the last time I was up here to describe Kim's grandparents, that lumps of sunshine. And I think that's such a wonderful description of a, uh, a follower of Christ. And yet, the reality is, not all of us are lumps of sunshine or would describe us as, as such. And I think that is because we can often suffer from what uh, I would refer to as spiritual anemia. So anemia is a medical condition caused by a lack of iron in a man's body or in a person's body. A person suffering from anemia looks pale and washed out and generally feels lethargic and listless. And Christians who live without joy can suffer from this same thing, the spiritual anemia. They're spiritually lifeless, uh, failing to tap into their, their source of strength. And so they exist rather than truly live. Spiritual anemia be, can become so invasive in the life of believers that it even shows itself in one's physical appearance and that an, an anemic Christian just doesn't have that same radiance or vibrancy in his or her countenance as, do, as does a joy-filled Christian. So all these promises of joy sure sound good, but how do they mesh with some of, some of the tough commands that, that uh, Jesus talked about? I think of Mark 8 when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me for the gospel will save it. On first take, these words don't really sound too joyful. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, following him to Golgotha, losing our life. It can sound much more like absolute uh, drudgery. And so while they sound like they're on the opposite side of the faith spectrum, sure, like surrender sounds gritty, words like obedience and discipleship and the cross. And then on the other side, joy sounds like the good times, you know, peace, celebration, and hope. But when I circle back to what that definition of joy that we looked at earlier and what it really is, that the idea of nature, the nature of God flowing through my spiritual bloodstream, then this call to surrender is really turned on its heels. So surrender no longer sounds like a death march, but really the journey to joy. The reality is that there is an intimate interwoven connection between surrender and, a jo and joy that, po that points up to the only way to experience a joy that lasts. So consider the parallels with a uh, human circulatory system. So when a person has high levels of cholesterol, a hard, hard pasty substance forms on the artery walls and slowly narrows the passageway of the arteries. And over a period of years, that buildup can become so severe that the clot forms and prevents the blood from flowing through, leading to what? A heart attack, right? And just as cholesterol can block the, blo the blood flow into my heart, my claim to myself, those selfish, self-focused things that I do and, and so often focus upon, obstructs the Holy Spirit from working in my life. However, when I begin to surrender those things, 
then my spiritual arteries uh, are open, so to speak, and his joy is then able to flow freely through me. Let's go back to Christ's promise in, in John 15, 11. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Notice that his promise doesn't stand on his own. Jesus links his promise of joy, this, this that he's talking to there, to the, uh, those are the referring to the 10 verses that leading up to that promise. Yet, as you saw, if you, if you remember from when we read the New Testament passage earlier, uh, before the sermon, uh, his message amounts in, in John 15 here to a call to really all out surrender. Remain true and steadfast in him and live in full obedience to his word. And then that's the this part. And then, is, then your joy is complete. So seen in light of John 15, joy is not this spirit, uh, mystical destination for spiritual gurus. It's really the natural result, result of any believer who earnestly is following Christ. But at the same time, while I say that, I want to make sure we don't fall into the trap of like cause and effect kind of relationships here that we're, that we're transacting with God in this way. Because of our obedience, then he gives out uh, joy as, as a reward or something like that. Instead, it's really more logical than that, or to use David's word, indicative um, of, of our result of, of you know, how we, how we um, uh, you know, uh, give, our lives, uh, give our lives to God. And so joy is the only possible to experience when I get rid of all of the personal stuff in its way. So let me demonstrate on this. Um, so I love coffee. Not really hot coffee, though. I don't like lukewarm coffee. Uh, not really old coffee. It was five or six hours ago. Really hot, fresh, caffeinated coffee. Now, suppose Kim brews a pot of coffee and fills and comes to fill my mug. However, once she's there, she discovers that it's already filled with lukewarm coffee from earlier in the day that I ended up never that I didn't end up drinking. So she wants to give me the good stuff, but in order to do that, she tells me that I, she must dump out my old mug first. Now, is she being overbearing or arbitrary in her demand? I mean, obviously not when you think about it in that practical terms. It's simply a matter of common sense. The fresh brew cannot be poured into a cup that's already uh, filled. And in the same way, Christ's joy can't be poured into my life when it's filled with, when I'm filled with my own personal agenda, my own self-will, and my own self-focus. So now that we've talked about, you know, dove into a little about the meaning of joy, my hope that it becomes much easier now to distinguish joy as we described with, with happiness. So happiness is all about the here and now, whereas joy is rooted in eternity. Happiness is a soundbite that doesn't last, while joy is like a pleasing chorus that can't be stopped. An old Spanish proverb goes, there's no happiness, there are only moments of happiness. In contrast, joy combines both of those things, a constant presence of God sprinkled with moments of genuine delight. Time is the arch enemy of happiness, but joy, it's joy's best friend. By its nature, happiness is impatient. On the other hand, joy can afford to wait because it knows it has eternity to enjoy. Happiness depends on circumstances, but joy is independent of anything that happens to me. Happiness, it draws me inward to my own personal fulfillment and fills me with more of myself. 
Joy fills me with more of Christ and turns me outward to Christ, outward to Christ and the world around me. Happiness seeks temporary peace with myself. Joy embraces lasting peace with Jesus Christ. And pain kills happiness, but joy soothes pain. And as we close, I want to focus on that last one, this relationship between joy and pain. And I'll circle back to what I started with. How can I experience my experience this joy when I'm facing this battle with cancer? And how can others experience joy going through similar hard times? Well, consider this verse. James 1-2, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Well, I remember when I was uh, writing uh, my joy book years ago, I started diving into how people, you know, what what different perspectives were on this this verse. And I came across a best-selling Bible study that concluded that based on James 1-2, that the appropriate response for a believer when trials come is to First, and this is a quote, first, immediately give thanks to God, and then secondly, take on a joyful attitude. Uh, I looked up uh, the Phillips paraphrase of the New Testament, which I usually enjoy, uh, but this verse, uh, I wasn't sure if if I liked it as well. uh, Phillips wrote, uh, don't resent trials as intruders, but welcome them as friends. And the message it, uh, the message translation uh, says, consider it a sheer gift. So, welcome as friends, treat as a birthday gift, maybe. Am I to welcome ke- my cancer and chemo treatments as friends? You know, when my friend gets laid off, is he supposed to immediately give thanks to God for that? Or is my neighbor called to instantly take on a joyful attitude when, it, when his life of 20 years suddenly runs out on him? I think we have to be very careful here that the scripture doesn't that scripture doesn't uh, become yet another tacky, meaning, meaningless, uh, inspirational quote that I see so often on, on Facebook walls. Um, and because I think when we look at James one two here, this uh, this this verse, and we think of it in that way, we can uh, it can fall we can fall into something that I would call Jesse, if you want to. Uh, Indie Joy, an Indiana Jones version of of the real thing. It's a smirk in the face of disaster, a gritty determination to persevere no matter the odds. So donning a fedora and a leather jacket, we memorize James 1-2 and become bent on being joyful in a crisis. Then when the tidal wave comes our way, we grab a life raft and attempt to ride out the storm. But the problem with Indie Joy is it becomes something obtained by willpower alone. You know, we can psych ourselves up, give high fives, and pack a smile for a while. But when I once, once I begin to actually deal with the pain and suffering that I'm experiencing, this self-created joy uh, becomes exposed for what it is, really paper thin, and it begins to fade away. No matter how resolved I am, I can't will joy. It just doesn't work that way. I can choose joy, but I can't will this joyful attitude. So let's go back to James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. When we experience hardship and trials, we will end up reaching the end of ourselves and and then be able to surrender everything into the arms of Christ. And seen in this light then, joy in times of hardship begins to make sense because 
Trials do nothing more, and I'm certainly learning this um, firsthand. It brings us to the point of surrender. And then surrender, as we've been talking about, is the key to opening up the floodgates of joy in our lives. Therefore, while happiness and sorrow are mutually exclusive, joy and grief actually walk hand in hand with each other. Joy resides deep inside a surrendered heart and stays burrowed there, even when the flood waters of emotion uh, strife sweep through. Joy doesn't flee pain, but it mixes, intermixes freely with it. But not stopping there, joy also provides solid footing for us to stand as emotions uh, rise and fall like roaring waves. And over time, as emotional uh, waters begin to subside, the joy that was constant throughout can start to become visible again, even if we don't always experiencing that uh, you know, uh, in, our, in our emotions or in our mind. In the end, James 1-2 is not this ideal that we need to strive for, but simply a description of what life is like when you walk with Jesus Christ during the worst of days. And over the past week, in ways that are really hard to articulate, um, I've really been discovering that reality in bits and doses. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, I love this quote, we are like deathless people in an endless tale of joy. When we dive deeper into the true nature of joy, I hope we can begin to see that Chesterton is offering much more than just a, uh, just hyperbole or some, uh, some great glib quote. I think that's exactly, going back to the joy song that we heard before the start of the sermon, I think that is exactly the, what the joy song was driving at. If you notice, the song starts out so somberly, and it treats joy and happiness as kind of the same thing. I have joy, joy, joy down in my heart, and I'm so happy, so happy, so very happy. It seems, I think the band is playing that interchange between those two to ironic effect, given the, the tone of the song. In fact, when uh, Kim heard this, the song for the first time, she uh, always hated it. I don't think you ever listened to the end, um, because it sounds so like a funeral dirge and depressing uh, at the beginning. But the... Uh, as the song continues, there, you'll, uh, there's, a, there's a big tonal switch, almost like the singer discovers the true meaning of joy and how different it is from happiness. So if you go on to the next, uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, and then it goes on to this and says, I can't understand and I can't pretend that this will be all right in the end. So I'll try my best and lift my chest to sing about this joy, joy, joy. And then, an understanding of the true nature of joy and its relationship to surrender somehow bursts through when the song transitions to the classic hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, yeah, so there, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And if you know the story of that hymn, you know that the songwriter uh, Horatio Spafford uh, penned that song, not when things were going well in his life, but it happened just shortly after his, the d learning of the death of his wife and, uh, and child. And to be able to, to say those words, it is well, it is well with my soul, that is something that only can come when we experience that suffering and understand uh, we, the, uh, the surrender of our heart and, and be able to then uh, experience 
the fullness in, of the joy of God in, uh, as, as a result of that. So as we close, I wanted to play the last half of that joy song again. And uh, it's just right before that transition. And listen closely and, and see the transition that the song makes from treating happiness and joy as the same thing to the discovery of true joy uh, through surrender. And my hope and prayer is that we will make this same transition in our lives. And then let's listen to that and then we'll close. i